got friends, only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I've been reading all the work. And I've been shutting down the stars. And welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the Freight Sells a Show for Closers. Here we are, Tuesday, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on Freight Waves TV. We have uh, a really cool show today. We're going to talk about research and pre-call research, some things a lot of salespeople just don't do, and they really should. And to talk about that, I'm going to welcome on Bart DeMunk. He is the Chief Industries Officer over at Project 44. He's worked a lot with shippers in the past, uh, in his previous experiences, and he is a true expert on the subject. So you don't want to miss Bart's tips and tricks. So Bart will be in in just a few minutes. Uh, but first, let's talk about communication because sales is all about communication. I read a really great article on Inc. Magazine. It is titled, One Change on How You Speak Makes What You Say 20% More Memorable. Research shows experiments prove that we listen with our eyes as well as our ears. And that's no surprise because I, I think 90, 95% of communication is nonverbal. Only 5% are the words coming out of your mouth. So with that, talking with your hands, making gestures makes you, what you say more memorable. And uh, it's written by Minda Zetlin. She's the author of Career Self-Care, Find Your Happiness, Success, and Fulfillment at Work. And you can find that on Inc.com. And here are the top five, top five most effective hand gestures. These include diactic, right? So that's pointing to a real object. So I'm going to point at the camera right now. I'm pointing at the camera, pointing at the audience, and that's your diactic uh, signal. Iconic is kind of whenever you're playing out a story, like you're reeling in a fish. I'm going to reel in a fish right here, and you're, you're telling a story, and you're, you're acting it out a little bit. That is iconic. So you're going to reel in that prospect this afternoon after you watch, put that coffee down. Yeah, metaphorical. And that's when we measure something like uh, the whole world, right? You're, you're gauging the size of something or top shelf, you know, get it up on the top shelf, something like that. That's what you call metaphorical. Then you have symbolic. And symbolic is uh, real hand gestures, right? So the okay sign, the upside down horn signs, the okay sign, those other signs that, that you, you, you give to people who cut you off in traffic. That would be a symbolic sign. So it's used for, for words. And it's kind of probably where human language came from in the beginning before we could speak is through hand gestures and pointing and, and all of these things. The fifth and final one is a, a motor gesture. And this is probably, uh, this is one of the most important ones for cells. And I'm doing it right now. Like I tend to do it myself uh, a little bit. It's gestures that reinforce cadence or syllables. So that's what I'm doing right now. And I kind of just do that naturally myself uh, because I can't speak at all. So uh, it is... You know, you're going to do cadence. You're going to you're going to make these hand gestures. You're 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 going to make what you say and kind of the cadence or a syllable uh, easier to remember and to focus on whoever you're talking to. So whether that's in front of a crowd of people or you know a, a longtime customer, a client, uh, prospect, being able to 
makes uh, it's about a 20% difference is what research has showed in in memory and retention from whoever's listening to you. So make sure that that you focus in on this on this nonverbal cues and be really as animated as possible whenever you're speaking. It makes what you say much more memorable. And I'm making a point right now of doing the motor gesture uh, and cadence. So, so next time, just keep that in mind. If you stumble on ink.com or you can go to ink.com. And again, that is one change on how to speak makes what you say 20% more memorable. So it's all about ratios. It's all about the percentage game and sales, whatever you can do to, to hire those probabilities of moving down through the sales process and actually closing the deal. It's worth investigating. It certainly is. So that's one tip uh, for this week here on Put That Coffee Down for increasing your sales. But we're really going to talk about pre-call research, pre-call preparation, about uh, you know walking into meetings, dialing on the calls, getting on the Zoom meetings or Google Meet or Microsoft Teams, and being prepared, being prepared for what your prospect or customer is going to be talking about, having pre-scripted questions, having you know, out of the box questions that, because you never know what answers you're going to get back. So you have to be prepared. It allows you to be more proactive than reactive. But with that, let's welcome on Bart DeMunk, Chief, Chief Industries Officer over at Project 44. How are you doing today, Bart? I am doing great, Kevin. And it's good <laughs> to see, see these lessons. They're actually very valuable. And I couldn't agree more, right? If you want to kind of attract people and, and, and make them listen. A lot of it is is how you act and, and because the voice alone uh, isn't good enough. And a lot of events that I talk, sometimes, especially their large audiences, when they just listen to you, sometimes the attention span might go down. Uh, and I, I tend to use like a 10 or 15 second kind of dramatic pause. And all of a sudden you see people looking up from the screens going like, what is going on, right? And then you reel them back in, as you said. Yes, you reel them back in. And, uh, you know, you're an expert with shippers, but you're also an expert at public speaking about giving presentations. You've been doing it quite a bit. You're very good at it. You've been to many of our events up on stage, up on camera. Um, and it, it was really nonverbal cues, <clears throat> the pause, the dramatic pause, the the, the hand gestures, wh whatever you can do to keep your cadence up, keep your rhythm up keep the audience engaged, you should be doing that. Absolutely right. And I think what you said as well, right? Um, there's a couple of techniques. And I remember when I was at PepsiCo, we had a lot of trainer. I was in leadership training there as well, spent 10 years at PepsiCo. One of the things they always taught us was listen with think. So there, there's a lot of different techniques, right? And just as it's important to speak and to communicate to people, it's also very important. And we'll talk about that here, right? It's important to listen. And really listen to people kind of to what they say. And then even if there's something that you hear that maybe you don't like, don't always kind of have that knee-jerk reaction to want to react. But really listen and take it down and then kind of make sure that you understand what you're going to say in a constructive way and then feed that message back to, to whoever you're speaking to, whether that's a customer or a partner uh, or a supplier. Yeah, you don't always have to respond to, to everything someone says instantaneously. 
you, you can shelve it for for later. Uh, part of the, you know, if you're on camera, I, I just want to say this right now. If you're on camera, there are props that you can use. Great guitars. They're in the background. Uh, you know, it, it keeps everyone's interest involved in what you're saying, you know, participating in the conversation. Absolutely correct, right? I mean, we're all human, right? We all, all want that kind of human relationship, that human connection. How do you create that, right? I think people sometimes kind of dive right into business. And part of it is, how do you create the relationship with a person? Uh, what is that one point? It could be that wedding picture behind you. It could be the guitars. And to be honest, when I built the house about eight years ago, this was when we were just starting to get on all the Zoom calls and we did the video. So I didn't really do it for that. I did it really for my own pleasure of walking in my office when I'm at home and I'm not traveling and seeing the guitars and it putting a smile on my face. But it is kind of a, um, a conversation starter and people see that, they like it, and immediately maybe it changes the mind of the setup, maybe going into it from a pure business mindset and having a very maybe cold conversation to starting mm -hmm. it. And you all of a sudden find that, oh, maybe we share an interest in guitars or music. Uh, I had a call yesterday uh, and the person said, well, I'm not into instruments. I never learned to play an instrument, but I love singing. So immediately have that part in common with that person. And it's that first step to creating a relationship, whether that turns to a customer relationship or a partner relationship. Exactly right. So let's talk about um, let, let's talk about your background a little bit and what you're doing right now at Project Forty Four before we uh, we dive into to pre call research. Yeah, very good. I jokingly uh, say to people, Chief Industry Officer, basically that means you're you're getting pretty old, right? But I've been in the industry for a while. I've been <laughs> in supply chain for about thirty years. But I, I had the good fortune of starting in logistics in the '90s uh, on the 3PL and asset based side, and sometimes people uh, forget that. And in the 90s, if you, for those of us who were in, in logistics in the 90s, things were a little bit differently. Uh, back then, logistics wasn't quite seen in the light it is today as very important. It's always been, been very important, but uh, very few people actually noticed that until we saw these major disruptions the last few years. And also in the 90s, we weren't using a lot of technology, and that has changed quite a bit as well. Uh, and then in the 2000s, I worked for several technology companies, a couple of startups uh, as well. And that was one of them was right around that inter uh, internet, uh, the dot-com bubble burst. So I was part of uh, one of those folks that um, was affected by that. And then after that, I spent about 10 years uh, at PepsiCo that I just talked about, really on the, on the shippers side. And then after PepsiCo, I spent eight years uh, as an analyst at the research firm Gartner. Uh, and that's where I obviously had a lot of interaction with a lot of different people. The, the biggest contingency, I would say, is the shipper base, right? The customers uh, of Gardner who uh, use the advice of Gardner to make decisions around strategy and tactics, or in some cases around technology decisions. But we also interacted a lot with the 3PL base and the brokers and the carriers. And on top of that as well, with private equity and venture capital companies who we called our invest clients who were looking at our mark, uh, market's evolving and what are great opportunities uh, to uh, really um, get involved and invested in the, uh, in the industry. And I would say one thing that's always important, right, when you listen to a shipper, now a lot of times with Gartner it was, hey, here's a question that the shipper has and you need to be able to immediately answer it. But when you can, I would say 
there, there's a couple of different things. One's there's facts, right? So it's always gather as many facts that you can. Uh, and it could be fairly supply chain general, or it could be in the industry that that company's in, or they could be very specific to the customer. Uh, and then I always look at the three E's, right? It's like experience. You, you do have to understand kind of issues shippers encounter in general, but you also have to understand kind of the culture they move in. And then the other part is empathy, understanding things from their perspective. You need to be able to, to have the ability to put yourself into the shoes of the person that you're talking to. And then finally, effectiveness, right? Really understand the core elements of what they communicate to you in order to be able to support them. Yeah, the, the first one there, the, the experience and, and kind of uh, the, the internal culture. And that, that's something I'm always fascinated by, the internal culture of an organization and being able to map that out or know as much about that as possible because that's where the buying decisions come from. That's where the, this committee, sometimes committees after committees after committees, sometimes it's quick decisions, sometimes it's a, a very elongated uh, position and it goes back to the empathy and uh, effectiveness kind of correlates and, and kind of feeds into that. Um, but, but you know, you, you know what they ship, you know what lanes, but, but you always mm -hmm. kind of have to, to peel back that onion and look at the, the culture of the organization, how they make buying decisions and how to best navigate that or come up with a game plan, right? Yeah, absolutely correct, right? And then that's where the preparation comes in, right? And, and to me, that preparation is a critical component for anything you do, whether it's a phone call, an in-person meeting, whether you're preparing for an event, a webinar, a presentation. Um, I'm even here, we're talking, right, about these questions. I always prep, right? First of all, it, it makes you feel relaxed because you feel like, hey, I feel prepared. If I feel prepared, I'm going to come across and look as if I'm prepared because I did, I did the work. But the also the other important thing, and that's something that, and obviously when, when I was growing up, right, my first language wasn't English. It's only my fourth language. But one saying in, in English that I really like, and that's always kind of in business and I hung around was, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. So being prepared to me is really critical. Um, and there's a lot of different things that you can have when you have knowledge on a company. If you do a little bit of research, whether that's 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, because you have to let, ask less questions and that's going to save you time. And you can talk intelligently about the company, whether they're a customer or it's a prospect and it's about them. So you kind of change kind of the, the type of the discussion you have rather than saying, hey, I'm such and such and I'm doing this and this. You make it about them. But it also gives mm -hmm. you a really good idea if you prepare well where it is in the conversation that you can add value to a company. And so you can get to the point of where you can help this company a lot quicker. And then the other part I think is also important, allows you to point out some maybe services or products or whatever it is that you're selling that could add value and that make you stand out from the competition rather than keeping it very um, general. And then I think the, the final outcomes of it um, is that it creates a relationship. You'll see me talk a lot about relationship because you're trying to create a relationship with someone, right? It's like in our personal life, you don't, don't just walk up to someone and say, hey, you want to be my friend or you want to be my partner in life? You start by having a conversation, making that link, making that connection and that relationship, and then it evolves into something else. And I think with, within business, sometimes we jump too much to conclusion without maybe doing the upfront work to create that that relationship. And the other part is we know when we talk 
and we'll talk a little bit here more about things like brokers, right? There's thousands of brokers in the U.S. There's, there's a lot of vendors in any market. But how do you stand out from the crowd, right, in your approach? I think that's really what's important. And that's what uh, people need to understand is when they have that conversation, make it unique as well. Yeah, it's a process, right? Uh, building that relationships, a process. Uh, you know, we focus in on closing and, and winning mm-hmm. business. And uh, a lot of times, salespeople in all industries, it's just not freight brokerage or, or the freight space, is you want to jump to that conclusion. You want to jump to the end game because a lot of importance, we all focus in on getting new business, but it's a process. You have to start and you have to, uh, you know, walk down that path, ask great questions. Uh, Another big thing on research and and pre-call research is I usually like to to ask a lot of questions that I I should know the answer to, right? I think I know, I have Mm -hmm. an idea of what the answer is going to be. I might not know the exact answer. Sometimes I do know the exact answer, but I want to to, to have a familiarity or uh, an expectation of an answer. So I know what direction, I have a better gauge of what direction the conversation is going to, because if they're saying things that through my pre-call research don't really match up, then I'm going to chase those down and see where that disconnect is. And I, I think it makes the, the conversation flow a little bit better, too. Instead of answer, asking a lot of questions you don't know the answer to, you have no idea what the answer is, uh, you can get lost in, in, in the navigation of that conversation very, very easy. And then, it, then the call turns into a disaster. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, right? It's kind of the directed question versus the open questions, right? Where it's like mm-hmm. you can ask a questions like, so Mr. X or, or Mrs. Y, what are some of the issues you're facing? We should know because we're industry experts, right? Mm-hmm. All of us that are in our industry, we should know kind of what in general the, the issues are. Maybe if you're on the retail as a shipper, as a retailer, I know I'm going to have issues maybe with inventory, with lead times, uh, issue to having good quality of, of service or high rates in last mile delivery. I'm having issues around talent. So direct your question around, hey, we know there's a lot of issues with inventory um, in retail. How does that particularly impact you? And then think about it from how can I, as a vendor, then help you with that particular issue? I think that'll help, as you said, um, help that conversation flow a lot better. And you're going to get a lot more specific information than if you Mm kind of ask these questions. The other thing is, if you're asking a very open question or you ask a type of question that people could say or answer with just a yes or no, sometimes that's what you're going to get when you say, are you just having issues or are you having, you know, challenges? People say yes. And then it's kind of an awkward pausing. So then you have to go like, <laughs> so what, are, what are those challenges, right? It, it, it's not a very flowing conversation. It, it is. I did some sales training in my, my first brokerage and we were taught open-ended questions. And, and part of the training is if you ever ask a, a closed-ended question, yes, no question, that, that's what you got during your role play mm-hmm. is just a yes. Yeah, and, and it taught you to do open-ended, but sometimes open-ended, like what, what issues are you facing? That's kind of vague. That doesn't really convey any information. Uh, but if yeah. we go back to inventory, because it's, it's a good example, you know, what challenges are you facing in inventory right now? I see Walmart and Target have kind of corrected some of those. You get more out to discretionary side and inventory is a little bit problematic now you are selling sporting goods or whatever, 
right? And mm-hmm. Dick's Sporting Goods just came out. This is their inventory. Are you facing some of those same problems? You're asking an opening a question in a very specific way, which I think is a very powerful question. Yeah, you're absolutely right, right? It's like, how do you create that engaging conversation mm-hmm. around that topic? I think the other side, it's it will show that company that one, you understand kind of what you're talking about. So it gives you kind of credibility, which leads, leads to trust. And that's the basis of any type of relationship or a business relationship in this particular case. But I think the other part is if you can bring up, like you said, hey, I saw in the news that, you know, like what you just mentioned, right? Like Walmart recently had XYZ happening or had an issue with this. Mm-hmm. It also creates that kind of, perspective of or perception of, oh, wow, they really researched. They took time out of their day to look Mm -hmm. at us. And to be honest, who doesn't like that, right? You want to be kind of valued as well. If you're not even going to spend that time on me while I'm not a customer and you're chasing me, what interest would you have when I become a customer? It's a little, again, a little bit like in our just personal relationships, right? I'm not going to ask the questions and seem interested when maybe I'm dating, what interest and what chance would I have, you know, while you're married, right? Because that's not going to happen. And again, that's a similar approach. And I think that's a little bit different, right? We, and things like technology or service, it's not just a thing you sell. It's a relationship you create. And hopefully that relationship is a true partnership. And that makes a lot long, more longstanding when you act as a true partner to a company than just someone that's there to sell you something and it's the here and the now. It's, a, it, it's quite a difference in how you're building a business relationship. And, and that's a great point. And I, I think one of the things that has helped me out tremendously is that we, we can all talk transportation as freight broker. I can talk uh, transportation. I can talk lead times. I can do that. But before I do talk about my expertise in transportation, let's say, it's always good to, to connect by knowing their industry, knowing Mm -hmm. their operational schemes, Um, if it's retail, knowing the retail industry, how that operates, the language that they talk, because transportation, we talk transportation language. Uh, Industrials talk industrials. Auto parts talk auto part language. Being able to, to, whether it's retail or auto parts, talk that language, know kind of how that supply chain works, but also the operations, you know, the entire industry, how that works, speaking in the same jargon as they do about that. I think that that really builds relationship. It builds trust in it. And uh, it earns you the right to start talking about how do you infuse transportation, logistics into that world. Absolutely right. Couldn't agree more, right? So if you understand the industry, you understand kind of the function they're in. And then there's even additional uh, things to look at. It's the complexity of the company, right? Sometimes a small company, a large company, they can be just as complex. So don't minimize that just because they're a small company. I saw that many times when I was at Gardner, where you go like, well, you're a large company or now you're a smaller company. Well, smaller company, let's say in food and beverage or retail, they have the same amount of complexity in the large organization. They just have less transactions or things like, the maturity of a company, meaning, you know, you can suggest to do a certain service or a certain technology, but do they have the maturity to even react to that? Or understanding, do they have the resources and the experience to adopt that, right? Again, when we talk about whatever product you sell, how do you make that product consumable? Let's say if it is technology like what we offer, 
How do you make it consumable? Meaning, how do you make it as easy as possible for people to start implementing that capability and to continue supporting it rather than maybe something that's very heavy weight where they need a lot of resources to both implement that solution, but then also continuously afterwards to continue updating it and supporting it. And that's important as well to really understand from a cultural perspective, organizational readiness, maturity, complexity, and the like. And I think those are some of the things that you can get a quick feel for that you don't necessarily always um, get from researching a company, but that you really get in understanding once you talk to, to those people. You do, you do. Bart, it's been uh, great. I wish we had another half hour to, to go over and talk research. Maybe we'll do an audio-only audio podcast and we can spend an hour on this topic and, and anything else in the future. But um, you can reach out to, to Bart on, on LinkedIn, Bart DeMonk, and um, he's always on there. And again, thanks for stopping by. Yeah, it's great. And hopefully I'll see, I know some of you guys are at Manifest, we'll be at Manifest as well. So um, should be a good conference. Hope to see some of the folks there. And like you said, you can always contact me on LinkedIn and uh, have a great day. Thank you. And that was Bart DeMunk from Project 44, Chief Strategies Officer over there. Great conversation as always. And you can catch us here Tuesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern time and wherever you download your podcast. But that wraps it up for this episode of Put That Coffee Down. I got friends only want to talk business. I got expensive because winning is expensive. I got expensive because winning.